22? Probably 27 or 29, something like that. I'll be 20-something. Maybe 18 or older? Mm, about 30 something. Mm, 20? 28 or 25. Well, good morning, Orchard. I love that one kid's response. I don't think you should get married till you're 30. I have a single daughter who's 20, so I'm sticking with that right there. I like that, that advice. Amen, parents? Hey, take out your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 is where we'll begin in just a moment. We are continuing our four-week series called This Is Us, where we're looking at four Old Testament couples. We're looking at their successes and their mistakes and some valuable lessons we can apply to our marriages and apply to our lives as well. This isn't just for married people, it's for everyone. I had originally intended uh, when I started this week to to talk about uh, Ahab and Jezebel and one of the most common problems that every marriage faces and then I just didn't have peace about it and God said, no, I want you to save that one for next week and flop uh, this week and next week's message. So instead today, uh, being sensitive to the Lord's leading, we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah. And I tell you that because if God spoke to me that strongly to switch these up, that means this must be something that God wants us to hear today. Amen? And and I believe there's somebody in particular maybe that God has this message for today. We had several people leave the first service and said, man, that really spoke to me. I needed that today, whether you're married or you're single or you're single again. What we're talking about today applies to everyone. It applies to all of us. And so I'm excited to bring this this to you today, the story of Abraham and Sarah. I want you to think about those of you that have been married uh, for a while, uh, especially if you've been married a long time, maybe, you know, 15, 20, 30 years. uh, Think back before you were married and some of the expectations that you had of your life and your marriage, you know, things that you thought at this point in your life, they would be, be like this. Do you expect them to look like this? If you're not yet married, think about what are your expectations uh, if you plan on getting married someday? What do you expect your marriage to look like, uh, your family, your, your kids to look like? I think most of us go into marriage and we have things planned out. We have these expectations. We're going to meet Mr. Right. We're going to meet Mrs. Right. And we're going to get the tingly winglies. You know what I'm talking about? Thumper called it Twitter-pated. We got all those feelings. And then, you know, we're going to have the perfect wedding. We're going to live in the perfect house. We're going to live in the perfect neighborhood. We're going to have the perfect kids. We're going to have the perfect dog because there are no perfect other animals. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Had to go there. Now, now, if you've been married a while, fast forward many years and, and how's things going? You know, is it everything you planned? Is it everything that you expected? Or maybe some of you, if you're being honest, you're like, man, you know, we're just trying to stay married. We're, we're just trying to pay the bills. Uh, we're just trying to keep our kids out of jail. Amen, parents? But things don't always go as planned in our life. Things don't go always the way we expected. Our expectations in life don't always line up with the realities of life. If you're with me, say yes. Things don't always go as planned or expected. Sometimes they go better than expected. Sometimes they go worse than expected. But rarely do they go as planned and as expected. That's what we're going to talk about today. I remember when Shelly and I uh, got married and and we we had our wedding day. We had it all planned out. We had expectations. And uh, I think we have a picture. This is Shelly and I. You guys can get a good laugh of this. There we are. 
on our wedding day, somebody said, man, check out the, the tails on that tux, you know. For me, those like pretty much drag the ground, you know. And uh, that's on our wedding day. And man, you know, the, the ceremony itself actually went great. It went as planned. It went as expected. Nobody fainted. We said all the right words. And so we, we're feeling really good about things. And then we get to the reception. And then, of course, I'm, you know, at the reception going, all right, it's time to get out of here. Let's get, let's get on with things. You know, I'm just keeping it real, being honest. I'm like, let's go, let's go. How long are these people going to stay? And, and I, this is when things got weird. And this is where things didn't go as planned and expected. Uh, because we had all of our family there. How many of you, let me ask you this question, you have kind of a crazy, quirky aunt or uncle in your family. You got one of those? Okay, raise them up. All right. If you don't know who the crazy, quirky aunt or uncle is, it might be you. Just, just let you know that. Well, on my mom's side of the family, my mom was one of seven siblings. So I had all these aunts and uncles. And I had this one particular aunt. Her name is Aunt Helen. And she has gone on to be with the Lord. She lived to, uh, well into her 90s. And so when I got, I got married, I think she was in her early maybe 70s, something like that. And uh, she was just kind of a quirky aunt. This was the aunt that at Christmas, when she would send us a Christmas gift, we were always afraid to open it. I remember one year she sent us a gift and it was like a house half-used uh, tube of toothpaste, a toothbrush that was new, and a coupon for $5 off at Red Lobster. Okay. Thanks, Aunt Helen. So we're at the reception, and, and things are kind of winding down, and my Aunt Helen says, can I talk to you for a second? And she pulls me over to the side, and she puts her arm around me. It's just her and I, and she whispers something to me. And this is, we keep it real here at Orchard Church. This is what she said to me. She goes, be gentle. <laughs> I thought in my mind, she can't be talking about what I think she's talking about. And so I played dumb. I'm good at that. I said, what? She goes, tonight, be gentle. <laughs> she is talking about what I thought she was talking about. And I... Thanks, Aunt Helen. I walked away like, ooh. <laughs> Try getting that out of your head, you know, on your wedding night, that your aunt has said that to you. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, things took another weird turn, unexpected, not planned. I have a, kind of a quirky brother-in-law. You probably have one of those. And he walks up to me as we're getting ready to leave or go off, you know, on our honeymoon. He hands me a cassette tape. Those kids in here that don't know what a cassette tape is, ask your parents later, okay? Google it. Gives me a cassette tape, and he said, I made some romantic songs for you tonight. <laughs> True story. You can't make this stuff up. He gives me the cassette tape, and he says, you'll enjoy these tonight. And I'm like, okay. Put it in my pocket. I tell my wife, Shelly, about it. She's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. I tell her about all, everything I just told you. So we go off our, on our honeymoon first night. So we get you know, in our cabin that we got up in the mountains. And, and so we had a cassette player there. And she's like, do you think we should play it? And I'm like... I'm really curious what's on this. And so we put the cassette tape in and this beautiful, you know, romantic string music starts playing and we're like, oh, this is actually kind of nice. You know, maybe we should, we should let it play and we're starting to light some candles and the romantic music is playing. And then all of a sudden my brother-in-law's voice is on the tape. <laughs> He's like, how are you guys doing this evening? I'd like you to enjoy these selections for you. I'm like, oh my goodness. So anyway, things needless to say did not go as planned as ex or as expected. And, and if you've ever had a time in your life where life has not 
gone as you planned or, or expected. You're going to relate to our story today of Abraham and, and Sarah. Now, they, their names begin as Abram and Sarai, but then God changes their names. So I'm mainly going to refer to them as Abraham and, and Sarah. And we pick up their story in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1, as God's going to make a promise to them, but then life is going to take some unexpected twists and turns. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going yet. God just said, leave, and I'll let you know when you get there. I will make you into what, church? A great nation. We know this today as the nation of Israel. This is the birth of the nation of Israel. He says this. Let's say it together. I will what? Bless you. God wanted to bless Abraham. I believe God wants to bless us. He says, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise that God made to to Abraham. He said, I want you to leave what is comfortable. Leave your family, leave your neighborhood, leave your comfortable surroundings, and I'm going to take you into the unknown zone. And it's going to take a step of faith. You're going to have to trust me on this journey. In in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about the great faith of Abraham in our New Testament, and it it kind of gives a commentary of his life. And Hebrews 11, 8 says, it was by, help me church, it was by, everybody say faith. It was about faith. That's what we're talking about today. This applies to everyone. It was about faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And so God calls Abraham into this life of blessing. And I believe that God wants to bless our lives. You believe that, church? I believe we have a God, we sing about it, who is good. He's never going to let us down. He wants to bless his children, but we have to be blessable. And let me tell you the key to the blessings of God. When God calls us to a life of blessing, there's only one road we can take to get there, and that's the faith road. The only road that leads to blessing is the road of faith, the road that Abraham and Sarah had to travel, the road that all of us have to travel. Now, if you're like me, if I'm keeping it real and being honest, when God calls me or prompts me, I want to know the details, right? We want to know the details. God, tell me where I'm going, uh, how long am I going to be there, when am I going to come back, you know, what's the economy there? We want to know the details. But God rarely gives us the details when he calls us to take a step of faith. Here's why. Two reasons. Number one, if he gave us all the details, we probably couldn't handle the details. And number two, if he gave us all the details, then it's not a step of faith. Faith is required. It's the evidence of things not seen but hoped for. And so God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you this great nation. Now, what that meant for Abraham and Sarah was they needed to have children because at this point, they had no family. They had no kids. If they're going to be a great nation, they've got to have kids, and their kids have got to have kids. They've got to have grandkids and grandkids and descendants and great-grandkids to be this great nation. And, but yet that had not happened yet when God made this promise to, to Abraham. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Now, now, here's what's interesting. Those of you that have been around the Bible a little bit, in the New Testament, we read about Abraham, this incredible great man of faith. He's known for his faith. He's characterized by faith. But if you go back, as we're going to do today, and look at his Old Testament story, even though in the New Testament he's characterized by faith, there were moments and times of, in his life that he didn't always walk by faith. He didn't always fully trust God in faith. 
Now that encourages me, and that should encourage you, because even though there are moments in our life where we are faithless, we can still be characterized as faithful. Amen? That's, that's going to encourage us. And so when things didn't go as planned, we're going to look at the story today of Abraham and Sarah. God makes this promise, but when things go unexpectedly, when things don't go as planned, Abraham is going to mess up when he's tested because of his faith. Sarah's going to mess up, we're going to watch, when she's tested by her faith. And then they're going to mess up together when they're tested in, in their faith. But here's the good news. And this is what I want you to hear today. I hope you'll take some notes. This is in your notes if you're taking notes. Here's the good news. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. Even when we have less faith than we'd like to have in our life, God is full of faith. you believe that, church? Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. So what do we do when we believe God has made some promises to us that require a step of faith and things don't go as planned? What do we do when things don't go as planned? If we're not careful, we'll do the three things that happen with Abraham and Sarah. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. When things don't go as planned, sometimes we can fall victim to fear. When things don't go as planned, sometimes we fall victim to fear. That's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. God made this incredible promise of all these kids and descendants. Jump down to verse 10, chapter 12, verse 10 of Genesis. Genesis 12, 10, it says, At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. That was the promised land. Forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, Look, you are a real hottie. Original Hebrew, okay? My Bible says, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Sarai was beautiful. When the Egyptians, Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them you are my what, church? Sister. Don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And, and what we see here is in this culture, if you went into enemy territory and you had a beautiful wife, they could kill you to get to your wife, which is why I'll never take my wife, Shelly, into enemy territory. They'll be like, we're going to take out that little guy to get to her. And that's what happened. But, but, but watch what's happening with the faith or lack of faith of Abraham because he's afraid he's going to be killed. They still don't have kids. God had promised them children and grandchildren and descendants. And last time that I checked my biology, it takes a husband and a wife, a man and a woman to produce a child, but yet he's afraid he's going to die and he's doubting God's promises. He's falling victim to fear instead of trusting God in faith that they're not going to kill me because we don't have any kids yet. And he's taking matters into his own hands. And we today can relate to this because there's times in our life where we know what God is calling us to do and to take a step of faith and to trust God and his word, but we play the what if game, don't we? I've played it. Well, God, I know what you've said, but what if this happens? What if that happens? What if things don't go well? What if I misunderstood? You know, being real honest, there's a lot of young people today, they fall in love, but instead of entering the covenant of marriage, and that agreement and promise like God intended, they just say, well, you know, we're not going to get married because we've seen too many people make mistakes in marriage. And so, you know, we're not going to get married. We're just going to live together instead of trusting God. Because, well, I mean, if we got married and we trusted God to be the center of our marriage and keep our marriage together, I mean, what if he cheats? What if she cheats? What if she's a nag? What if we can't make ends meet? You know, what if things don't go well? What if we don't like our in-laws? We play all this what-if game instead of trusting God in faith 
we, play, we fall victim to fear. We'd sometimes see this happen in, in our, our lives with our finances. We know what the Bible says about our finances. We say it here at Orchard Church that one of our values is we act our wage by giving first, saving second, living on the rest. Those are biblical principles in the Word of God. There's over 23 scriptures in the Bible about how to handle our money. But instead, we want to take matters into our own hands, and we fall victim to fear. And we say, well, if I trust God and, and I live according to biblical financial principles, you know, what if I can't make ends meet? What if we have to make a sacrifice? What if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if? And we fall victim to fear Instead of trusting God in faith, in faith. Maybe God, you feel God is leading you to step out in faith and start a business. And you say, well, I want to do this. I believe God's calling me to do this. But what if things don't go well? What if my business fails? I know that God wants me to witness to my coworker, my neighbor, my friend, my family member. I know God wants me to invite them to church to hear the gospel. But what if they get offended? What if they don't like that? What are they going to think about me? And we fall victim to fear instead of faith. There may be some of you that God is calling, like he called me about 30 years ago, into full-time vocational ministry. And you know God's calling you into full-time vocational ministry, but you're playing the what-if game. What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what are people going to think? And it's so easy, if we're honest at times, to fall victim to fear instead of walking in faith. Walking in faith. And here's the problem. We sometimes talk ourselves out of faith because of our fear when we should be talking ourselves into faith. Listen, this is what God has said. This is what God has promised. This is what God ha has told us. And what happens when we walk in fear instead of faith, we often miss the greatest blessings of God that he has for us because we just weren't willing to take the faith road. I, I remember when Shelly and I believed with all of our heart and God had confirmed it through several witnesses and through his word and through his spirit and through circumstances. Everything was perfectly lined up that God was calling us to take a huge step of faith about 13 years ago and move our family to Denver, Colorado to start a church, Orchard Church. We had never lived here. We had no friends here, no family here. We didn't know where we were going to live. We had no guaranteed income. We didn't know where we were going to meet. We didn't know any of you guys. We didn't know if anybody was going to care to come to our church or not. And we had to make a decision. Are we going to talk ourselves out of what God has because of fear? Or are we going to talk ourselves into taking a step of faith? And then I remember when we were making, trying to make this decision of what to do, we had people that God sent to encourage us. And one person who knew about Denver and church planting here, uh, they, they tried to encourage us. They said, well, you know, 90% of churches, church plants in Denver, Colorado, they fail. Thanks. How encouraging. I had another pastor friend of mine who had tried to plant a church here in Denver, Colorado, and it didn't make it. He told me this. He said, if you don't have a building of your own in the first three years, and for those of you who don't know, it took us you know, almost 12 years to have this building. He said, if you don't have a building of your own in the first three years, you'll never make it as a church. Thanks. But we had a decision to make. We knew what God had said to us, and we just made the decision. We are not going to fall victim to fear. We're going to take a step of faith and look all around you at the incredible blessings of God at what he has done that we would have missed out on. We would have missed out on all the blessings of hundreds of thousands of lives being changed for eternity if we weren't willing to take that step of faith. So I want to challenge you. When you know what God is asking you to do or not do, don't fall victim to fear. Don't play the what-if game. Step out in faith in all areas of your life. 
in your marriage, with your kids, with your finances, as a single person, because here's the good news. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful. God is faithful. So when things don't go as planned, when things don't go as expected in your life, if we're not careful, first, we can fall victim to fear. Here's number two if you're taking notes. We can get ahead of God. When things don't go as planned, if we're not careful, we can get ahead of God, just like Abraham and Sarah did. You're in chapter 12. Turn over to chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, as we continue with this story, how Abraham and Sarah got ahead of God. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. This is about 10 years later after God's promise. And they still don't have kids yet. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. Everybody say, Hagar. We're going to talk about Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. God hasn't fulfilled his promise. I don't know what's taking so long. So go and sleep with my servant, Hagar. Now, some of you guys might be like, oh, that's it. You know, this is is not cool. This is gross for lots of reasons. One, because he's married to Sarai. Two, it's Hagar. Now, I don't know what you guys think of when you think of Hagar, but let's just, let's Look into the scriptures here and think about this. If Sarah is encouraging him to sleep with Hagar, she could not have been a supermodel. Or she would have never encouraged that. I mean, when I think of Hagar, I think of like steroid weightlifting hair under her arms, Hagar. All right? Hagar. And she's getting ahead of God, trying to take matters into her hands. Why did she do this? The Bible tells us. She says, perhaps, what's the next word? I. Not God, perhaps I can have children through her. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to get ahead of God. Perhaps I can have children through her since I haven't had any kids yet. It's been 10 years, and Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Okay, just like a guy, I'll do it. Hagar, all right. And they're like, God, you said we would have kids by now. Ten years have gone by. It's taken, God, you're taking too long. God, have you forgotten about us? God, we're tired of waiting. We're going to make this happen. We're going to force this thing. We would never do that, right? We would never get ahead of God. We would never take matters in our own hands. And when things didn't go as planned, instead of trusting God, they fell victim to fear and they got ahead of God. Now, Hagar, if you read the rest of the story, we don't have time to go into all of it, but go check it out. Hagar did bear a child, and his name was Ishmael. This caused all kinds of chaos and turmoil in the family between Sarah and uh, Hagar. There's jealousy. It gets nasty. It's cat fight. I mean, it's bad. And the truth is, we're still paying for that decision today. Because it was through Ishmael that a religion was born because they got ahead of God. And they didn't wait on God. And sometimes we can do the same thing. Sometimes this happens in our our lives. You look around at people getting ahead of God. I've done it. We've probably all done it. You take this sweet Christian girl. She wants to meet a a great Christian guy and serve God uh, together and God to be their center of their marriage. But she's not yet married and she's getting desperate and everybody else is getting ready. So she gets ahead of God and she settles for a guy with a pulse and a wallet instead of waiting on God. You, you see these young couples today. Man, if you're a young couple, if you're newly married, you know, in the first few years of your marriage, we see this happen all the time today. The young couples get married today, and they want in the first two, three years of marriage what it took their parents 20, 30 years to accumulate. 
And then they get into debt and they get credit cards and all this debt. And they put a, a, a noose of debt around their neck and their marriage. And they struggle all of their marriage because they can't eat, make ends meet. Because they got ahead of God and they didn't wait on his timing. Sometimes you see, you know, someone, they hate their job. They hate their boss. And so instead of going and looking for another job and waiting on God to open that before they quit, they go ahead and just quit their job. And then months goes by. Nine months later, they're unemployed. They're drowning in debt. And they're like, God, why have you let this happen to me? And God's like, dude, you were on your own. You didn't wait for me. We, we've all done it, haven't we? We've gotten ahead of God at times in our life instead of waiting on God in faith, just like Abraham and Sarah, taking matters into our own hands. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is so true. God is rarely early, but he is never late. Let me say that again. God is rarely early on our time clock, but he is never late. You've heard me say this before, that God's delays in our life are not necessarily God's denials. We just got to have enough faith to wait on God and wait on his timing and be patient and not take matters in our own hand. You say, so what am I supposed to do while I'm waiting on God? Am I supposed to just sit in a chair and just wait and wait and wait? No, you do what waiters do in a restaurant. You know what a waiter in a restaurant does? He's busy serving people. When we're waiting on God's timing, we're busy serving others and serving God and trusting God in our life. That's what waiting means. So here's the good news, though. Even in those times of our life, like Abraham, when we're not faithful, when we're faithless, God is still faithful. When we're faithless, God is still faithful, and he can make us full of faith, and we can be characterized by faith, even though we have moments where our faith is tested. And we fall victim to fear and we get ahead of God when things don't go as planned. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. Sometimes when things don't go as planned and things don't go as expected, here's what we think. We don't believe that God will do it for us. If you're taking notes. We just don't believe that God will do it for us. I mean, we've seen God do it for other people. We've seen God answer other people's prayers. We've seen God do miracles in other people's life. But when's he going to answer my prayer? When's he going to do a miracle in my life? When is he going to do what I'm expecting to do? When is he going to do what he's promised that he would do? Now, I can understand, if we're keeping this honest, I can understand why Abraham and Sarah were a little frustrated at this point. Go to chapter 17, because in chapter 17, by this point, 30 years has gone by since God made the promise of children and a great nation, and yet they still have no children of their own. I mean, 30 years. I mean, they've already decorated the nursery. They've already, you know, registered at Babies R Us. They've, they've been putting announcements on Facebook. God has told them we're going to have a child. Now, six months, 12 months, a couple of years have gone by. They're like, we better go to the doctor. We better get checked out. What is wrong with us? 30 years and God hasn't fulfilled his promise. And watch as this, this plays out because they just, they just didn't believe that God was going to do it for them. Chapter 17, verse 1. It says, when Abraham was how old, church? 99 years old. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, one of the many names of God. El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. I can do anything. Serve me faithfully and, and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant, a promise with you, by which I will, what's the next word? Guarantee, guarantee to give you countless descendants. And I'm sure when he heard this 30 years later, he's like, yeah, I've heard that before. What, what's taken so long, God? And then look at verse 15 of that same chapter, 17. Chapter 17, verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, 
Regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Just like I told you 30 years ago. Yes, I will what? Bless her richly. I want to bless you guys. I promise to bless you guys. I told you I would bless you guys. I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations, kings of nations, will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? He, on one hand, he's trying to have faith, but on the other hand, he's laughing inside. And he's like, come on, God. I'm 99. My wife is 90. This was before Viagra and Cialis, y'all. Okay. We'll keep it real. On one hand, they're trying to have faith, but on the inside, they're laughing. We've all been there, haven't we? Now, Sarah gets wind of this, and look what, how she responds in chapter 18, verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children, naturally. But see, God wasn't trying to do this naturally. God was trying to do this supernaturally. She was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself as well and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Her words, not mine. Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. This is humanly impossible. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And here's the most important question in this story. I believe this question would have pierced through the heart of Abraham and Sarah like it may pierce through some of our hearts today when we're struggling to trust God in faith. Let's read it together, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's read that together, church. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. You read the rest of the story, and she did have a son. His name was Isaac, and it was through that line and that lineage that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was born, and God fulfilled his promise exactly like he said he would do. I like verse 15, and, and, and I just I think this is funny. It says, Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> We can't fool God, can we? We can fool each other. We can fool our spouse. We can fool our kids. We can fool other Christians. We can't fool God. But here's the, here's the key that I want to focus on. When they were struggling in their faith, to trust God in faith, it's verse 14, and it's this question that I believe God is asking some of us today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I think this would have got their attention. I think this would have pierced their heart. I can't prove this, but I believe this was the moment that things began to change. And they began to trust God again in faith. And God may be asking some of you today, knowing your particular situation in your marriage, in your family, with your kids, your finances, your health, whatever it is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want to be sensitive to this. Maybe some of you are here today as a young couple, and you're married, and you say, you know, we've been trying to have children, and we've been able to bear children. We've been unable, and, and we've been waiting on God, and we believe God's going to give us a child, but it's just not, not happening. And, you know, we've tried everything, and so maybe you're getting to the point where you think, we're just not going to have children on our own. That may be true, or it may not, because let me ask you this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Nothing. 
There, there was a young couple, married couple in our, our church several years ago, and they were in our small group, and they had tried everything in the world to have kids, and they did the, the, you know, the doctor's route and the medical route and all those things. And I finally told them, I said, you know what? Maybe God wants you to just give up on all that, and let's just pray for you. We prayed for them. She got pregnant. She now has, I believe, three children uh, of her own. Some of y'all are like, okay, Pastor Doug, can you pray for us? You know, I'll pray for you. I can't make it happen, but maybe God can. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And if you can't have children biologically, maybe God wants you to adopt. Man, I'm a big proponent of adoption. I was adopted when I was two weeks old, and I praise God for adoption in my adopted family. And I praise God that I had a biological family that loved me enough to give me a home. And you say, well, yeah, we'd like to adopt, but do you know how much adoption costs today? $30,000, $50,000. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're here today and, and as a couple or as a, as a single person, you're struggling in your finances and you're thinking, you know, man, we're never going to get out of debt. We're never going to get ahead. We're never going to make ends meet. We're always going to have this noose of, of financial struggles around our neck. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, Pastor Doug, you, you don't know my husband. You don't know my spouse. I, I'd like our marriage to work, but you don't know my, my, my husband. He doesn't want to have anything to do with church. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Do you not believe that in a moment that the Spirit of God could arrest his heart and life and drop him to his knees and radically, supernaturally change his life? Anything is possible with God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, you don't know my wife. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You don't know our marriage, Pastor Doug. Man, our marriage is hanging on by a thread. We're here because we're seeing if there's anything that might turn it around. I just don't think we're going to make it another year. I don't think we're going to be able to stay together. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're a single person and you see everybody else getting married and you're like, man, you know, I just don't think it's going to happen for me. I don't know that anybody, God has anybody for me. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I came here today to tell somebody, nothing is too hard for the Lord our God El Shaddai. Nothing. Nothing. When we trust him in faith, when we're willing to take the road of faith, nothing is too hard for the Lord our God. As we wrap this up this morning, listen. The theme of this series, if you don't catch anything else, here's the, here's the theme of this series. Make God the center of your life and your marriage and your family. Because when you make God the center of your life and your family and your marriage, anything is possible. Do you believe that, church? Anything is possible. And especially when things don't go as expected, when things don't go as planned. Instead of falling victim to fear, trust God in faith. Seek him. The Bible says if we seek him, we'll find him. And then when you find him, run to him, embrace him, trust him, follow him, obey him. Because even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And he can help us to become more faithful. Full of faith. As we wrap this up, this is what the Apostle Paul said about Abraham's life. Even though there was moments where he struggled in his faith, this was what his life was characterized by. This is what our life can be characterized by. It says, in Abraham's faith did not what, church? Weaken. His faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, let's say it together, church, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that, let's say it together, church, God is able to do whatever he promises. 
God is able to do whatever He promises. God is able to do whatever He promises. Let's say that together, church. God is able to do whatever He promises. And when things don't go as expected, and when things don't go as planned, don't waver in your faith. Be strengthened in your faith. Grow stronger in your faith. And instead of falling victim to fear, trust God in faith. Talk yourself into faith. Don't talk yourself out of what God wants to do in your life. When things don't go as expected, when things don't go as planned, don't try to get ahead of God. Wait on God. And I know that's hard. But while you're waiting, you serve God. You serve other people. And believe that God can do it for you. Believe God as a marriage and a family. God can do it for us because there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. He is faithful. I believe he wants to take some of you to an incredible place of blessing beyond what you've ever imagined. But there's only one road to get there, and that's the faith road. Are you willing to take that road? I hope you will be. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be strengthened in our faith today. And when life doesn't go as planned and as expected, that we would not fall victim to fear. We would not get ahead of you. We would believe that you could do it for us. And that when we are faithless, we remember you are faithful and that you would fill us with faith. As we continue in attitude of prayer with heads bowed, nose, eyes closed for just a moment, let me ask you a very honest question. Right now in your life, no matter what you're going through, whatever's going on, is your life characterized by fear or by faith? Your situation, your marriage, your family, your kids, your finances, is your life characterized by fear or faith? How many of you would be honest enough right now to say, I want to be full of faith. I want my life to be characterized by faith. Whether you're married, you're single, single again, whatever your lot in life, I want to be characterized by faith. I sometimes struggle, but I want to trust God in faith. If that's you today, would you slip up your hand for prayer all across this auditorium? Amen, amen. God bless you. Hands everywhere, everywhere. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would all trust you in faith, that we trust you even in the times we cannot trace you and we don't understand. And even though it may sometimes take days or weeks or months or years, that we would know that you would never leave us, you'll never forsake us, you'll never let us down, and that you are able and you'll never let us go. And may we trust you in faith and that may we take the road of faith to the blessings that you have in store for our lives, for our families, for our marriages, for our kids, for our situations. So we continue an attitude of prayer right now. Maybe there's some of you here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step of faith. That's the most important step of faith. That's where followers of Jesus, that's where our faith begins. When we put our faith in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that 2,000 years ago came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for us to pay for our sins so we could have our relationship with God restored and we could spend the rest of our lives and all eternity walking in faith with our God. The Bible says it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace we are saved, forgiven through our faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God that He gives us, not of works, lest we should go around and boast about it. That's where faith begins. And if you're here today and you've never prayed a prayer of faith to invite Jesus into your life, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. 
I'm not going to ask you to stand up, speak up, come up. I'm just going to ask you to be willing to pray a prayer of faith from your heart to God's to invite him into your life. I'll help you with the words. It's not a magic prayer or magic words. But if it comes from your heart, you can accept Jesus into your life today by faith. You know who you are if God is speaking to you in that way. Would you pray this prayer with me and begin your faith journey on that road today? And it goes like this. Jesus, come into my life. I'm saying yes to you today. Yes, be my Lord. Yes, be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. I accept you by faith. And I want to walk in faith with you the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and forgiving me. Thank you. Thank you. As we continue in attitude prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, it's the most important decision you could ever make. And I would love the privilege and honor to pray for you right now that you would walk in faith and grow in your relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, if you prayed that prayer right now without hesitation, with no one else looking around, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Just lift up your hand so I can see it. And by lifting your hand, saying, yes, I prayed that prayer. God bless you. A couple down here. One, two, three, four, five, six people here. Yes, God bless you. Over here on my left, several people over here. Yes, ma'am, God bless you. Right here. Yes, sir. God bless you right here. Young person right here. Amen. God bless you. Several hands. Amen. Let me, let me pray for you. Father, we just, we just celebrate and we rejoice in those saying yes to you today. Your word says that a party and celebration has broke out in heaven at this very moment among the angels when even one person says yes to you. And we want to join in that party. We want to join in that celebration. We want to welcome these new brothers and sisters in Christ into the family of God. And may we all walk together in faith because the just shall live by faith. May we live that way in our walk and relationship with you. And we praise you and thank you for their decision today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate big time those saying yes to Jesus? today. Amen. God bless you guys. That's awesome. Hey, we are so excited for you. You've just made that decision. And not only are we excited for you, but we are thrilled that we get to be a part of your journey. And what I know is that this decision that you just made, if you prayed that prayer, is the most life-changing decision of your life. And you're going to want to remember this moment. You're going to want to mark this as the day that Jesus changed your life. So we created this booklet to help you remember that, to help you mark this moment. And it's also a great way to take your next step. So if you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it. If you would take some time to fill out a connection card that was in your newsletter, on the seats when you came in, maybe you sat on it, maybe you're sitting on it right now. If you would take that out and just part, uh, write down some basic information about yourself, we want to mail this to you to help you mark this moment and help you take your next step. Orchard, I got to let you know, since we've been in this building just for a couple of months, we have already seen over 600 people make that decision. Is that incredible? That's nothing short of a miracle that God has already done. And if you give here and you serve here regularly, you're a part of that decision. It's not just a number. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. And we get to be a part of that story when we give and we serve here. And so I just want to thank you guys who are faithful week in and week out in giving your tithes and your offerings. And if you have yet to join us and, and become a contributor here at Orchard Church, in just a moment we're going to receive an offering. It's not too late because God's not done. God's not done working here. God's not done showing people who he is from children to youth on Wednesday to adults here in this service. 
God is going to continue to use what we give him. And so in just a moment, when we continue to worship, please feel free to uh, begin to give now if you have not yet made that uh, commitment to do so. If you're a guest with us, just know that we don't expect you to give. We don't ask that you would give anything today other than just give us some basic information about yourself so that we can follow up with you, send you a gift, make sure that we've done our best to be your host today, that you've enjoyed your time, and help you take your next step if you want to ask any questions, we'll follow up with you there. Now next week, you're not going to want to miss it. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series so far. Next week, we're going to talk about the most common problem in marriage. You know what it is? Just shout it out. What do you think it is? Yeah, I have no idea. I'm not the one teaching next week. You'll have to come back just like me and find out next week. But right now, let's stand up together. We're going to worship in our giving. We're going to worship in our singing for he is worthy. He is faithful. Thank you, guys.